Welcome back. I see you've returned for more stories. <laughs> were you able to figure out which stories were true and which was fake? <laughs> well, you'll find out soon enough. Now sit down, take a breath, and get ready for three more strange and chilling tales from the soap pod. <laughs> shadows under your bed, unknown objects in the sky. Time keeps on ticking as the eyes of the darkness watch in silence. Join us as we dive deep into the depths of the unknown and go beyond the spectrum of our perception. Hey everyone, it's good to be back. Thank you for joining us on the Spectrum of Perception podcast for episode 7. I am your host, Shade, and my virtual co-host, Hey there, listeners. On today's episode, we will be bringing you three more creepy and mysterious tales. We want to thank everyone for listening to last week's episode and voting on our poll for which story they thought was fake. Before we move on, Shade, would you kindly reveal to our listeners which story was the fake one? Gladly. Last week, our stories were The Unlucky Medallion, the Guardian Angel, and The Devil Knows My Secrets. Per our poll, the most popular vote was Story 1, The Unlucky Medallion. But were they right? Shade, what is the correct answer? Well, actually, the fake one was Story 3, The Devil Knows My Secrets. It was a fabricated story written by none other than my co-host, Ken. Now, can you guess which story will be fake this week? Let's find out. Story 1. The Witch Elm This story begins in the UK, right in the middle of April 1943. Four young boys and their dogs were trudging along in the woods. Due to the war, nightly bombings were very common in their hometown. Food was becoming scarce, so the boys journeyed out in hopes of finding small game to hunt and eat. Some time had passed, and one of the boys spotted an unusual tree the witch elm. And as the group approached the strange tree, one of the boys volunteered to climb up for any possible bird's nest. While climbing, the young boy noticed something white like an egg. Eagerly, he reached for it. What he had found was really a human skull. At first, the boy didn't realize what he had been holding until he began to stare into the blackening eye sockets that were also staring back at him. With that, the boys ran off frightened, pledging to one another never to speak of what they found. One boy, however, broke his pledge and immediately told his parents after arriving home. The police were notified, and the entire area was then blocked off and went under investigation. The authorities found the remains of a young woman within the witch elm, and strangely enough, 
she was missing a hand. It was later discovered in pieces around the tree, along with some old tattered clothes, dirty shoes, and fake jewelry. During the investigation, it was determined that the woman was five feet tall, around 35 years of age, and had been dead for no less than 18 months. Later examinations found a wad of cloth shoved deep into her mouth, indicating suffocation. Detectives reasoned that the young woman had been murdered, due to the fact that the body was placed in the tree prior to rigor mortis. On that same note, based on her size, it would seem impossible for her to climb a large tree such as the witch elm. Neither missing persons reports nor dental records were able to help in identifying the young woman, and unfortunately because it was during a war, much of the needed attention from the authorities and the public was undoubtedly misplaced and the case went cold. Many months later, mysterious messages written like graffiti were popping up all over the place, plaguing the public with questions like, who put the girl in the witch helm? This continued through the late 1940s and the mysterious messenger was never found. Many theories arose, some saying the young woman was a possible victim of a black magic ritual or possibly a German spy during the war. To this day, no one knows for certain who this woman was or why she was murdered and stuffed into the witch elm to rot. Story 2 The Exorcism of the Imaginary Friend Santa Barbara, California, 1992. Brandy, a 26-year-old single mother, was raising her three-year-old son Kyle with the help of her parents, Carol and Greg. Life was pretty simple for this family, living day in and day out in peace. At least, that's what they thought. Brandy's son Kyle had a vivid imagination for his age, and he would make up his own games and stories and put on his own plays. So it didn't seem odd when he suddenly invented his own imaginary friend. Kyle never gave him a name, but he played with him all the time. He would play hide-and-seek, and Kyle would read to him, or at least he would pretend to. He would use him in his stories and his characters in his plays. And just about anything his little three-year-old mind could think of. Brandy didn't think much of it, as many kids have imaginary friends when they grow up. And she loved to encourage her son's creativity. But one day, Brandy was cooking breakfast in the kitchen while Kyle was playing with his ball on the kitchen floor. Brandy turned around. She was mildly frozen in confusion as she watched Kyle roll a ball back and forth with his imaginary friend. He would roll the ball and then it would stop only to return back to Kyle's hands. Brandy ran to get her mother and father, 
and they all watched in disbelief. Greg shrugged it off and said the house was really old and the floor in the kitchen was never really level. So it was probably just the force of gravity that was pulling the ball back to him. Brandy and Carol figured it was best to agree with the assumption and go about their day. But it didn't stop there. Later in the day, Brandy caught Kyle sitting in the corner, holding a conversation with his imaginary friend. He's talked to him before, but this time was a little different. Anytime someone got near him, he would halt all talk and just give whomever a really sinister look. Brandy was beginning to fear the worst, and then later that night, she was right. Screams could be heard throughout the halls. Brandy, Carol, and Greg all rushed to Kyle's room. Kyle was crying in agony, and Brandy asked him what was wrong. He said, his imaginary friend bit him. They lifted up his shirt to reveal a large, bloody bite mark engulfing most of his back. It looked to be a bite you'd see from an extremely large dog or wolf, but yet nothing of the sort was in the house. Brandy knew at that moment that Kyle wasn't playing with an imaginary friend. He was playing with a demon. The next day, Brandy and Carol went to visit the Catholic Church, and they explained everything to the priests. The priests asked them to wait outside, and they would further discuss it with the higher-ups. All day, they sat upon the stoop of the church, waiting. The priests never came out, and they could see them peering from the window, checking to see if they had left. Brandy and Carol realized that they were on their own. They went to the nearest metaphysical shop and spoke with the owner. She was very kind and understanding, and was happy to assist with whatever they needed. They left with the following items. Holy water. Blessed salt. Sage. A book on how to vanquish evil spirits. And one feather. The next day, Brandy, Carol, Greg, and a few other family members gathered at the house. They placed the sage and the blessed salt into a bowl and lit it with a match. They started wafting the sage smoke through the house, into every room, and in every closet. They anointed every doorway and window with the holy water. They began to hear the fearsome snarling of what sounded like a wicked beast 
growling grew louder and louder. And they knew they needed to act fast. They grabbed Kyle, who was sleeping at this time, and placed him on the floor. The family formed a circle, hand to hand, around Kyle, and began to chant several protection prayers. The book had instructed for them to close their eyes and envision two golden circles spinning in opposite directions, faster and faster around them, never breaking prayer. Finally, without opening their eyes, everyone witnessed the sight of two doves crossing each other's paths in their mind's eye. A wave of pressure radiated from within the circle like a small gust of wind. And then the air cleared. The snarling stopped. And the energy of the room felt clear. Everybody hugged and cheered and all was at peace. It was right then that they knew that they had succeeded in exercising the imaginary friend. Story 3 The Shadow Looming Over Me Clark is a single father who just recently purchased his first home. His four-year-old son was excited to have his own room and a backyard to play in. The family moved in during the middle of October, and by the first week of November they were completely settled in. Everything seemed perfect from Clark's perspective as he and his son began to enjoy living in their new home. Until one evening, his son started to get a nightly visitor. Slowly, Clark's son began to change. His behavior was far from the normal. As days passed, Clark began to notice his son having a ritualistic habit before bed, turning on every light just outside his bedroom before turning off his own. Clark didn't think too much of it and passed it off as a possible fear of the dark that most children go through. Eventually, the young boy kept asking for nightlights throughout the house, one for each wall so frequently that it began to worry Clark. More habits began to develop as time passed, to the point of refusing to sleep altogether with his door closed. Clark finally had enough and decided to keep an eye on his son even more so. One night, as he was attempting to put his son down to sleep, Clark noticed that his son was placing superhero action figures on his nightstand while also turning each of their heads away from his bed. When asked why his son was doing this, he replied, because they like to stare at me after bedtime. Clark chalked it up as the previous nightmare his son must have had and tried to reassure his son that there was nothing to worry about. The young boy insisted that it was true. Clark again brushed off what his son had said and wished him a good night with a hug before closing the door behind him. Within moments, his son let out a horrified scream, and Clark opening the door again, revealing his son cowering in fear, pointing to the opposite side of the room. 
Clark's eyes darted to the spot while holding his son. He calmly asked why he was screaming. His son stuttered from fear and said, The, the shadow man is watching me. Clark held his son up and calmly tried to console him with a simple explanation that shadow men don't exist and what his son really saw was his own shadow created by all the nightlights in his room. Clark had stayed long enough for his son to fall sound asleep. Before long, he too made the decision to head to bed as well. Several hours would pass and Clark would find himself in his own nightmare and abruptly awoke. Normally after a nightmare, you begin to calm down and realize what you had experienced was merely a dream. But to Clark's surprise, it was quite the opposite. Once he awoke from the nightmare, he was met by a large, darkened figure looming over him with glowing red eyes. This immediately startled Clark, as he jumped up to only find that the shadow man was nowhere to be seen. Taking a deep breath, then giving a sigh of relief, he would come to the conclusion that it was just from his nightmare and went back to sleep. The following day, Clark was enjoying some alone time, as his son was visiting his mother for the weekend. To kill some time, Clark decided to browse social media. While scrolling, he came across a comic-based avatar system for that particular social platform. It caught his eye and proceeded to create one for himself. After making the avatar, the program immediately placed his newly made character in single-scene comic strips. He browsed the newly released comic strips of that very morning, only to come across one that made him feel highly disturbed. The comic strip was of himself lying in bed as a tall, shadowy figure loomed over him with glowing red eyes. And that was our three tales. Join us again next week as we reveal which two stories were true and which one was fake. You can follow us on our social media page Facebook at Spectrum of Perception or our Twitter at The Real SOPPOD and The Spectrum of Perception Podcast on Instagram. Thank you, and we will see you next week. <laughs>